and I knew that I never had to worry about finding another job after revolution like just don't get fired that was the goal <laughs> don't Marty don't you dare get fired because this liquid in this can with this band of pranksters at the helm of this company are going to take you wherever you want to go Stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. All right, we're back with uh, the Tap Takeover podcast. This is Marty Scott, uh, barrel manager at Revolution Brewing. I'm here with five other dudes. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about Revolution. Everybody, introduce yourselves. Put some voices with the names. Jesus, Andy here. Aaron. Hey, this is Alex. <laughs> this is Jim. So uh, we're continuing our uh, our live tasting that uh, we started awesome. a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you're listening uh, live to the program, we've been having a lot of fun talking with you guys about uh, just you know your brewery processes, your your uh, aging, your your barrel aging. We're having a lot of fun here right now. We'd like to get back into uh, this live tasting that we're doing. Uh, so we tried two versions of the Deets Tar last time we met, and uh, we're going to continue with that right now with the. Uh, Death by current or deeth by current? Marty, what's the pronunciation? Choose your poison. They're both <laughs> correct. So what's, uh, what can we expect? Uh, tell our listeners what uh, what kind of flavors they can expect by, by this uh, death by current. And tell me how you think uh, this year's version might have done uh, compared to that death by cherries last year. Okay, yeah. So uh, the death by current is by no means a replacement for death by cherries. Uh, two very different processes, two different end games. It's not simply just fruiting a barrel-aged imperial stout. So last year, everybody, or not everybody, but enough people, uh, myself included, really liked Death by Cherries. And that was all about the base beer complemented subtly with tart cherry character. The Death by Currents this year is a slightly different process, and we're focusing on the tartness. So there, there is some fruit character there, but what people are going to notice first is that this beer is a tart beer. It's by no means a sour beer. The pH is a little bit lower. It's, I guess, in the, in the territory of uh, some of the more mild sour beers in existence. This is all about uh, just kind of really switching it up as much as we can while still staying true to the base beer. We found uh, black currants offer uh, a marked acidity pickup as opposed to something like tart cherries even which you know the the best chefs in the world talk about fat acid heat you know and a number of other metrics we're really getting into the acid game with this beer and it finishes uh, a little bit quicker it's a lot more drinkable it's the same abv but uh, that acidity really kind of livens up everything. And again, this was a, a beer that we allowed our consumers to vote on last year. We had a number of fruited options, and we said, whatever you guys vote on, whatever you gals vote on, is pretty much going to be what we make as the fruited variant of this barrel-aged stout next year. We, we stuck by a word, and we did it. So the, uh, the acid just kind of livens everything up. It finishes faster. Uh, it's a completely unique experience to D-Star while not losing anything that you get from this year's D-Star. And all your fruiting is done after aging, right? You wouldn't throw a low pH beer into a barrel, right? In this case, uh, yes, it, it actually is. We added the, uh, the fruit to the barrels uh, to allow that 
fruit to age, mature, and we, we hate this word, oxidize, that's <laughs> happening naturally in the barrels. We try to limit and control it as much as possible or as much as practical, but we found with the cherry, uh, the way we employ the cherry, we want that super fresh after aging. With the current and the acid and everything you get from that, we wanted to add it to the barrel and allow that to age with the beer so that it wouldn't be clunky, overly tart, saccharine sweet. Uh, we wanted to give this product a, an opportunity to age with the beer. And that's exactly how we executed it prior to our death match where we allowed uh, our consumers to vote on uh, a number of fruited variants. And, and still carry that barrel character, right? So one of the characteristics that I have noticed in all the Revolution beers is that these are vehicles for the barrel. Like tacos and burritos are just vehicles for hot sauce. All Revolution beers are vehicles for that barrel character. I mean, is that really something you, Marty, focus on? Absolutely. I've been kicked off of committees for my my hell-bent adherence to focusing on barrels and oak and age and blending. And, uh, you know, we, we put it into a barrel on purpose. It's not easy and it's not cheap. It's time-consuming. It uses a lot of labor. It consumes a lot of space in our brewery footprint to execute these beers. And, you know, they, they go into a barrel and you better taste that barrel. Otherwise, it's a complete waste of money and time and it's just a, a marketing ploy at that point. And we want to do what we can, not to set ourselves apart, but just to do the most faithful execution of these uh, oak-aged beers that we possibly can. And the more adjuncts you throw at it and the more gimmicks you throw at it, the more that tends to get lost. So even when we do throw a ton of coffee at something or a ton of fruit at something, a la Code Switch from last month uh, in the October release, it's still about the barrel. Otherwise, it's a complete waste of time. A lot of people are putting beer into barrels and you don't get a ton of barrel character. We want the barrel character. We want oak, spirit character. We want age. Uh, we want that subtle, controlled, slow, tasteful oxidation. And uh, yeah, more and more we're, we're seeing that people are responding to it and saying I can get a pastry stout from any damn brewery in the nation for the most part, but we don't want to be that brewery. We want the identity of this program to be about the oak, the barrel, the blending, the traditional methods, all that boring stuff that create characteristics in these beers that you simply cannot achieve quickly by adding adjunct. So, Jesus, Andy, and Aaron, uh, I'm going to ask you specifically, what what are you getting out of this? Are you getting those very traditional oak flavors? What, uh, what are you getting out of the uh, the Death by Currents here? I am getting that, but it's really, for me, I get the tartness. I think that's it's too much for me. It's definitely a unique flavor for a beer, but for me, I... It is, it is well-balanced, but I think it's too tart. The tartness is just too much for me. For me, it is, it is quite tart, but I actually enjoy that tartness in it. You get those dark, few, dark fruit, raisiny characteristics for me. So it's almost like a plum mixed with a raisin, but boozy. That's kind of how I feel about it. There is a tart character, but I feel like the barrel blant balances it out extremely well. And I think that's the whole purpose of why the team this year went with the the currents in the barrel as opposed to post barrel was kind of we, we wanted that tart character to an to an aspect uh, but i don't think it's overly tart in my opinion i think it there's a really great balance between tartness and barrel character that really balances out for me personally it, it melds very well it just melds yeah together. It melds oh yeah, very yeah. Well. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think that barrel really adds something. It uh, it adds a, a bit of vanilla to the uh, to the current. It, it gives it kind of yep. a kind of a Sunday kind of flavor, like a Sunday served in a wooden bowl, <laughs> almost. It's uh, yeah, that's it's really really nice. I, I'm enjoying the hell out of this one, Jim. Uh, any final thoughts on this beer? I would say I really enjoyed the tartness, and that was kind of my what drove my questions because it seemed to be in barrel fermentation with the tartness. Uh, rather than in a post adjunct, and that's very rare. Most people would just add something at the very end, you know, after it's been in the yeah. barrel. Because it's just super add easy. Anyone could brew a base beer and then adjunct the hell out of it afterwards. Adding something you into know? the barrel—that's a—that's a whole different. Uh, Especially animal. for the year or two that Revolution does. But let's move on to our next beer. Well, I think uh, let's do a little side by side with the uh, VSOJ and the Code Switch. All right, so Jesus, I'm going to throw it to you. Which uh, do you have a favorite between uh, the two that you have in front of me right here? Well, for me, I like the SOJ because I enjoy. Uh, it reminds me of port wines. You know, that's what I like about it. That raisiny kind of like uh, very thick. The mouth feels great. I know uh, Andy talks about that too. For me, I just love that kind of that kind of flavor. It reminds me of a port wine. That's why I like this. The other one's uh, a little bit too sweet for me. That's a fantastic observation, Jesus, in that this really, the BSOJ is very port-like in its character with that deep barrel, the deep caramel raisiny flavors. It's, that's a great description of it. For me, the, the BSOJ was absolutely fantastic. I've had it a couple times before since you released it last month, and it's fantastic. I actually pull like toffee and like caramel flavors out of there, even though you said there's there's none of those notes in there from the malts. It's all barrel, and it's fantastic. The code switch is interesting. I mean, it's it's more sweet than I like, but it's still something I can drink pretty easily. What's interesting about uh, what I've heard about code switch is people ding it for being sweet, and uh, sweetness is a measure of the amount of sugar in the beer. This is the driest barrel-aged beer we've ever produced. What sets it apart is the aggressive nature of the fruit character. We added a ton of fruit, and even after that fruit, the sugar concentration is still lower than any other barrel-aged beer we have ever produced to date. It is quite dry. It is very aggressively fruity. But people taste fruit, they smell fruit, they see purple drink, and they think, oh, this is going to be sweet. And your palate is not wrong, but uh, to call it sweet is uh, is, is kind of a, a misnomer. It's, it's quite dry. It's less than 3% sugar, whereas VSOJ is just over 9% sugar. It's super dry, exceedingly fruity, and it's a double barrel aged. Uh, we, we don't call it double barrel aged. The first round of barrels wound up leaking, so we had to rescue it with a second round of fresher barrels. It only stayed in the first barrel for a couple of weeks. So we don't really call it double barrel aged, but it is in fact seen two different barrels. It's been aged for a year and it's super aggressively fruited. So the, the critiques that I hear about this beer when I hear critiques about them is that it's too sweet. And that just tickles me. And I, I love hearing that because it's it's a, a great opportunity to educate ourselves about what we're tasting. And it's not, in fact, sweet. If you dropped a hydrometer in this thing, it would cling to the bottom of the graduated cylinder in a heartbeat. But it's just so fruity. And you look at that purple color and you think, well, this is going to be a fruit bomb. And it is a fruit bomb, but a dry fruit bomb. Well, people are people are probably getting that sweetness from their from their smell. The nose on that, I mean, 70% of what we taste is, is from what we smell. 
So that's probably where that sweetness is coming from, right? And the first drink is done with the eyes, yeah. Uh, so you see purple drink, and you think purple drink, <laughs> and, and that's what you expect. And the ridiculous root character in this beer just kind of reaffirms that, but it's uh, it's actually an error. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a dry beer. It's an enigma wrapped in a riddle, yada, yada, yada. Um, <laughs> It was just a fun beer, and that, that speaks to why we called it Code Switch. This is a, a total departure for what the Deepwood program is about. And again, this is a collaboration with our friends at Sun King in Indianapolis. And it was actually, uh, the, the project was greenlighted at the Canvitational last year. We did another collaboration with them called Double O Session, which they brewed. It was a session IPA, and we did Code Switch over here, agent for a year. I wasn't actually party to the discussion, or I never would have uh, said yes to the first round of barrels that they had suggested, which we actually had to rescue the beer from. Yeah, Code Switch is totally unique. I've never tasted anything like it. I really like it, but I definitely understand where it would be kind of a divisive beer. But I think the more people know about it before they get into it, the more likely they're going to be to enjoy the beer, at the very least finish the beer and not uh, and not pan it. But yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy beer for sure. Uh, speaking of divisiveness, I, I'm going to have to break with uh, Hazus and Andy. I, I really enjoy this. I'll tell you what, blackberries are my favorite fruit, my favorite berry, one of my favorite uh, flavors in all of beers. And uh, this one is showcasing it really nicely. I think the dryness that you were talking about really accentuates that berry flavor. It, it, it lets it stand out. Like the berries speak for themselves because they're almost muted a little bit, so they're a little more understated. I, uh, I, I like this beer quite a bit. And I think it's it's almost an unfair comparison. Uh, you know, we sat down to do a comparison between this uh, VSOJ and, and the Code Switch. It's almost unfair because, like you said, you have one that's fruited and very dry, and then the other, which is which is dry but also sweet. <laughs> you know, it's it's a weird comparison. I tend to enjoy the VSOJ better, but uh, I really do enjoy that Code Switch as well. Uh, Jim, where, where do you come down on these two? Uh, I'm actually, you know, after you said how dry uh, the Code Switch is, it really then clicks in how dry it is. Like, my brain wants to fill in that residual sugar that is not there because of what I'm seeing. Well, once you're told, hey, this is actually quite dry, there's no residual sugar, then it becomes a very dry beer with a lot of barrel and a touch of fruit on the end. Again, I think that's where education comes into play, where you want to give it the Lizard of cause kind of treatment, but it's not. Yeah, I think we uh, we could have called this beer Gaslight, uh, and it, it would have been every <laughs> bit, good. if not more, apt. But yeah, it's it's crazy dry. Again, this is the driest beer the Deepwood program has ever produced. Uh, and we're tasting it next to VSOJ, which is the sweetest beer the Deepwood program has ever produced. And, you know, it's stylistically, yeah, barrel-aged English barley wine ought to be a little bit sweet. But what we're really tasting with the VSOJ is all about oak, thyme, malt, patience. You know, that's the tagline is oak, malt, and patience. And it's a cuvee of uh, a couple of different batches at a couple of different ages. You know, one age is two years, the other age is three years. Wow. So there's a ton going on here. 
uh, with the VSOJ. The code switch or gaslight is, yeah, it's it's crazy in that it's purple, but it's so dry, and everybody just expects it to be quite sweet. And you're not wrong. Your palates aren't wrong. If you don't enjoy the beer, you don't enjoy the beer. We knew this was going to be a kind of a toss-up. You were either going to really enjoy it or you were going to not enjoy it very much at all. And that's okay. If you don't enjoy the code switch, I'm sorry. But we've got nine other uh, cans of Deepwood beers that we're going to be releasing this year uh, to include the VSOJ. And that's fine. So we've been talking about barrel aging a lot because, well, frankly, you guys are doing some of the best in Chicago. Some of the best in the Midwest, some of the best in the nation. Coming up here in mid-November is the Festival of Barrel-Aged Beers, the FOBAB, the premier barrel-aging festival in the U.S. What have you guys got that you're going to showcase there at FOBAB? Uh, I'm offhand. I, I forget what Will Turner and uh, John Palos or Jumpy are doing over at the Brew Pub. Aaron, can you yeah. remind us? So we have the opportunity, because we have two facilities, we are able to submit two beers per facility. So we have two beers from Kedzie that we submit and two beers from the Brew, Brew Pub that we submit. So from the Brew Pub side, we are actually uh, submitting our uh, filibuster which is our barrel-aged wheat wine that we have as one of our beers. And then our second beer that we are submitting this year that I am supremely excited for, we do what's called Enormagene, which is an imperial version of Eugene. And then this specific version, Marty talked about how we were doing a one-off that was kind of a Eugene aged in barrels and imperialized. So this beer is actually our imperial Eugene. We refer to as Eugene. This is a brew of Eugene. is normally aged in Heaven Hill barrels, but for the batch that we are submitting to Fobab, was aged in a few whiskey barrels. We actually aged this in like small batch few whiskey barrels for close to two years and the end result that came out is quite possibly one of the best barrel aged beers we have ever released out of the brew pub we immediately knew that we wanted to submit this beer to fobab this year because even aside from the excellence that we get from enormagene in heaven hill barrels the beer that we got out of these few whiskey barrels was unreal and unmatched that is the second beer that we're releasing from the brew pub at least and uh from the kedzie facility we'll be submitting good old straight jacket and good old ryeway to heaven and we'll see what happens <laughs> you know nothing like the classics all right so as we wrap up here we're going to head into our last part we got to talk about the hoppy beers you guys actually make some good hoppy beers right yeah we didn't talk about that did we well, yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about the uh, the barrel aged beers, and that's because we're in the thick of the uh, the barrel aged beer season. But uh, on the second part, we we really do want to focus in on uh, some of the beers that bring the people coming back for more the masses. You know, the beers for the masses. I remember the very first time a friend of mine brought a uh, a beer to a New Year's Eve party, and he brought uh, the very first anti-hero that I'd ever tried. And it had the uh, the click on, you know, the the, the six pack click on, which was brand, brand new. Uh, we, I'd never seen that before. It was the branding on the can was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen, and I was like, "Holy man, uh, you're telling me an IPA can come in a cool ass can 
that I'm going to go back for. I'm going to see that on the shelf and immediately go back for. And it can taste like this. This was at the point when the West Coast hops were the, the very biggest, best thing. Can you guys talk about the uh, the anti-hero? What's a, what did it mean for the brand? What did it mean for Revolution? And if you can touch on uh, what, what it means going forward, what you guys like to do with the anti-hero series. It's no secret, anti-hero keeps the lights on. It's uh, roughly half of our total production. It has been since we started the 2012 brewery at Kedzie. It was one of the OG beers we had on at the brew pub. It was never meant to be a flagship. It was just an IPA. We needed an American IPA. The master, Jim Seaback, uh, created this IPA. It's malt-focused, but hop-accented. It's all about the, the pale ale malt, the carapils, the red wheat, the Simpsons Golden Naked Oats, the Weirman Munich One malt. That's the malt bill for anti-hero. I won't give you the exact proportions, but uh, there's a lot going on on the malt side. Giving away secrets. Yeah. Oh, feel free to <laughs> give us no. It, yeah, it, it's all about process. Process, process, process. Yeah. So unless you've got our equipment, we're pretty comfortable releasing this information. You can't recreate that. No. But it's malt-forward IPA that we throw a bunch of our favorite classic hops at. You know, it's not about these new, sometimes grungy American hops. It's about the classics, but we we didn't want to make something that was uber dry with no body and, you know, a million IBUs. We wanted to have, not to be sexist or chauvinistic, what we refer to as a gentlemanly beer that's approachable and that you can have more than a couple of. Uh, you can have it on its own or with food, but it's it's about malt and about the way it uh, it finishes, and then it's still you know bitter enough to be a, a fuck off American IPA, <laughs> and we're we're using uh, some Cascade, a lot of Centennial is the is the primary hop in the dry hop there, and we rotate. You know sometimes we can't get enough of some of our favorite hops through contracting. I'd like to I'd like to think that. You know, we protect our hop contracts to make sure that we can keep making anti-hero, but hops change year to year. Cascade crops are different. Centennial crops are different. Citra, Crystal, all these hops change year to year for the most part. So we don't just stick to a recipe. We stick to a, a group of characteristics that we're going for. Chinook is another one that's in there. It's certainly a, a piney, citrusy, floral hop profile. But all this stuff is built on malt and low oxygen and quality, 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 quality. And we're still figuring out how to make Antihero better. Um, we, we get thrown curveballs when we get new hop crops delivered to us. I'd say it's the, the hardest beer that we brew because we have the highest standard for that beer uh, as far as uh, the need to have it be consistent in a world where our ingredients are wildly inconsistent. Well, I'll tell you what, speaking of hops changing, uh, you guys have changed the hops uh, quite a bit. You guys have this new uh, Citra Hero series where you guys are uh, doing kind of a, is it a one hop that you guys are doing in each beer, or are you guys kind of doing the base beer with accentuating one more hop? But uh, you guys have got a lot of these uh, different one-off series. Yeah, the Hero series has been a lot of fun. Uh, it allows us to explore focusing on single hops or uh, a group of hops that have very similar characteristics. Every single one of the Hero Series beers is a unique beer. We do not recycle a malt bill from any of these beers to the next. Typically, they are drier so that it's not so malt-focused like Anti-Hero is. 
but they have different colors. They have slightly different finishing gravities. Typically, they're drier, or almost exclusively, I should say. They're drier than Antihero. Almost exclusively, they're more bitter than Antihero, and they're more aggressively dry hopped. And we're really trying to focus on kind of like consumer education, if you will, on like, this is what this hop tastes like. This is what these hops or these classifications of hops smell and taste like. And it's it's been a lot of fun picking hops that we don't necessarily like as a brew team and trying to make a revolution beer with those hops. We've really challenged ourselves. You know, most of the time, we just want to drink Pilsner and Fist City. But when we show up to work, it's, it's about working to, to make these hops play with the beer the way that Revolution wants our beers to come across. So it, it gives us an opportunity not just to be an anti-hero factory. And we'd be, frankly, pretty content being an anti-hero factory. We'd be very we love that beer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's what keeps the lights on. It's why we all have health insurance and 401k. These other single hop or kind of unique hop blends has been a chance uh, to, to grow as technicians, as craftsmen, as scientists. I want to actually piggyback on talked about Alex's first uh, introduction um, to your brewery and the League of Heroes. Let's talk about the branding. It's a really cool comic book feel to it. The cans are amazing. It's very, they definitely pop at you when you're in the stores. Even the way that you guys release them in the series that you guys do, it's like a certain comic book series. You know, there's series one, series two, series three. Yeah, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? You were here from the very beginning. How? When did that start? When did that kind of that look start? Yes, the the designers at uh, Mighty Few is their. Uh, I don't know if they're a, a real company, but it's there are, are at least two creative geniuses over there at Mighty Few Designs or whatever the company name is who have done all of our our can designs and the the first time we saw one of their cans we were still just a brew pub we had draft only beer and we had this pie in the sky idea of someday soon we might have a packaging brewery and when that time comes we don't want to produce beer and then try to find a design for it we needed a design ahead of time our consumers and the staff drinking a lot of anti-hero I think anti-hero might be you know the the way forward this might be a a future flagship and when we saw the first mock-up of the original can which is very very similar to the can as it exists now we realized that this liquid under the helm of Jim Seaback with this can design is going to communicate so beautifully so flawlessly what the consumer can expect from the liquid on the inside of the can and I knew that I never had to worry about finding another job after revolution like just don't get fired that was the goal (laughs) don't Marty don't you dare get fired because this liquid in this can with this band of pranksters at the helm of this company are going to take you wherever you want to go Antihero is now the the most ubiquitous. It sounds like such a dirty word, ubiquitous, uh, for a for a craft product. But we are we're everywhere. We're, it's the number one IPA in the state of Illinois, and we've got a couple of prolific IPA producers uh, here in the city with us. But uh, yeah, as, as soon as we saw that can, we knew that okay, yeah, there's no question. We're definitely going places. This is not just us blowing smoke up our own backsides. We're going to do something. We're about to experience some shit over the next couple of years, and we certainly have. Making the Hop General on the Antihero IPA can kind of the the centerpiece, not only as a flagship, but as an anchor for the rest of the series, allowed us to tie in that beautiful branding to other unique IPAs or single hop IPAs. The reception has been very, very positive. We're able to 
know, we don't have to think, oh, what beer are we going to make next? It's like, how many different, unique, cool, single-hop IPAs can we make and release? We found out that in the past, you thought that nerds were in the minority. We now know that nerds are literally in the majority. And with the Hero series, it was it, it, it basically set the standard of, not like, most people are nerds that are into kind of that sci-fi comic world and we we can have this series that kind of falls in that comic book strip like sci-fi and and have something super successful that we can continue to adapt and the majority of people are going to latch onto it and be a part of it a wise man once said that the beer game is a consumption game and that you won't survive unless the consumers are consuming your beverage. And and that's what you guys have done here with the Anahero. You've kept it fresh, not only with making a quality product, but with all the varietals. You, you made Citra Hero, Brood Hero. You keep it fresh for all the consumers. It continues to be your base beer. And that's why Revolution is so popular today. Well, I would say uh, one of the the keys to the success of Revolution is the fact that you guys are willing to uh, change with the times. You know, a lot of breweries, they kind of fall out of favor because they stick with the same formula that they've been doing. Because they assume that the people are going to like the same beer all the time. And I think what people have found, what breweries have found, the ones that have gone out of business, is that uh, people's tastes are changing at all levels all the time and you guys have found a way to throughout the years i mean over you know well over a 10-year period found a way to stick with what the people are drinking you guys are going to do some sort of variation but you're going to do it your own way and i think that's really the key to uh, to revolution success yeah you you bet your backside on that if if this was my brewery and i could as a deity uh, control the market we would all drink German Pilsner and nothing else <laughs> and, and that's not a unique standpoint but we realize that you know, this is a job and we have to contribute to the the brewing world and we're in a great place to do that so we have to look outside and see what the market wants we've got to give the people what they want that's what the revolution is about it's not about you know I'm a revolutionary I have this one idea and we're all gonna follow this one idea it's about the people and when the people change their minds and they're allowed to change their minds <laughs> you can either give the people what they want or you can stubbornly rest on your laurels and say no you loved this last week why don't you still love it but the second point you made the second half of the point you were making was we are still gonna do it like revolution we are not gonna copy other people uh, we're too big to copy other people it's disingenuous people are gonna see that they're gonna recognize it and even if the liquid is gold if revolution is not true to ourselves it's gonna show and it's you know a lot of bad music and bad art has been made by people just copying the, the times and we we don't want to do that we want to be open to changing our product line based on uh, what people want to be drinking but we still want to be revolution that liquid has got to be a Jim Seaback or a Will Turner beer or it's 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 all lost you know, we, we have to be true to ourselves and that's the essence of punk rock you know and we're very much a punk rock brewery and you know if if you're just faking it for sales numbers uh, it's not going to take too long for the the consumer to catch on and realize that we're just blowing smoke up each other's backsides. (laughs) 
So, Aaron, uh, you've been a longtime customer and uh, now an employee. You have to have seen the same sort of attitude, this uh, this attitude of uh, being able to keep it going but also keep that revolution mindset. What, uh, what, what does that mean to you? Well, it means everything. The main reason why I came here is to, to basically, like, echo Marty. It's the punk rock, like, ethos behind the brewery. I knew from day one, you don't open a brewery called Revolution to just fucking sit back and <laughs> be a regular brewery. You you open a brewery called Revolution to cause some shit. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And I knew from day one that this brewery is going to cause some shit in the best way possible. And I, from day one, wanted to be a part of that. But it took a few years before I realized shit like the majority of america feels the same way obviously by the way that revolution is growing and finally it was that point of like oh i can be a part of this like as somebody who has you know a family you you have i'm gonna i'm gonna dive into that whole thing of like ultimately you you want to be in a job that you can support your family and you can do what you love but also support for them and this was absolutely the company where you could do that. There were enough people that believed in revolution and were behind it to provide for your family and, and make super quality beer and be independent, which is something that I, I've always backed. I, I think that says it all. Being able to uh, to be independent and also provide. I mean, that's that's the revolution in our group. You know, that's revolution brewing. And uh, we, we've been so thankful for you guys to have us out to, uh, to be able to sit down, talk with us about uh, all this breaking news, all of, this, uh, all of these different uh, additions to the Deep Wood series. It's, uh, it's really been a fantastic opportunity. It looks like we are out of beer <laughs> for the moment. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to come back out maybe next year, talk about the Deep Wood series again. But for now, for me, for Alex, I'm Jim. I'm Marty. Jesus. Andy here. Aaron. And this has been another solid, non-fail production. <laughs>